0: Hey folks and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige A podcast about films by film lovers for film lovers Each week we pick a film, we review that film, we discuss some ideas and themes that film throws up And as always we end the show with our recommendations, further reading, further watching if you will Based on this week's movie We'd like to kick off as always with what else we've been enjoying in the last week A chance for us to recommend something outside of this week's movie So Sam, do you have something for us?
1: I do, and um, though I haven't really been keeping up to date with the movies in this franchise, I have enjoyed uh, the various Marvel creations that have emerged in the past decade or so, including the Netflix series. I've very much enjoyed all of them, apart from Iron Fist and the less said about that, the better. Um, And I also particularly enjoy them because I can watch them around other things and also I I got quite excited and and thought this was very futuristic and then my wife informed me that people are doing this for the past five years but I I found that I can download episodes to watch on my commute to work so I've been enjoying that on the bus to work in the morning
0: the wonders of modern technology
1: (laughs) yes indeed I've moved into the 20th century uh Jessica Jones is very good. Kristen Ritter in the central role is is very strong in the first series and she's she's as good here. Um, There are twists and turns in the narrative which are unexpected, shall we say. Um, There are good supporting performances from people and I'm just enjoying... It's not absolutely amazing, but it's great sort of popcorn-esque TV I'm enjoying. Mm -hmm. Sort of uh, luxuriating in my uh, new technology-fueled ride to work every morning.
0: I'm very glad for you, I'm very glad for you. How about you, Rob? So I um, have been delving into some of my, my collections of... Sorry to say culty films, some horror films, some gory films. And this week I have watched the 2008 Japanese classic, classical will he say, The Machine Girl, about a Japanese schoolgirl whose brother is murdered by some Yakuza. She loses an arm in trying to avenge his death and has the arm replaced by a machine gun that she then uses to brutally and viciously and gorily massacre the accuser. She's joined by a cohort who has chainsaws for hands and ends up going against someone who has a machine gun bra um, with some drills, I believe, attached to it. It is very much in the Japanese gore, schlock horror comedy genre. You know, things like um, Rebecca, Mutant Girl Squad, that kind of thing. Uh, the director, um, Nobori Ikijia, Iguchi I think it is I'm probably getting that wrong um has done plenty of this kind of um movie some awful things like uh, zombie ass the Toilet of the dead pretty terrible um but things like Rebecca and uh, the machine girl are kind of uh, are, are better they're certainly um, better elements to this this genre, but it's they're a good fun time. Uh, they're very much that kind of schlocky movie. Uh, but if you are something with a bit more a bit more insanity in your movie watching, the Machine Girl is one of the ones they're checking out. It's not for Sam. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. Right. <laughs> you know, I can't see Sam sitting down for it, but I certainly enjoyed it.
1: So this week we are continuing our <sighs> Baz Luhrmann series. We're moving on. Uh, we skipped over his. Uh, 2001 film *Milan Rouge and he seemed to sort of settle into a pattern of uh, not very frequently releasing films and his next film after that was the 2008 film Australia. Welcome to Australia.
0: You'd be a lot more comfortable if you changed into something a little less uh, constricting. You keep your eyes on the road,
1: Mr. Drover. There's only one tent. We're not
0: really used to one. A woman. Guests.
1: Now, Australia is a. It was a huge film at the time. There's a lot of hype around its making and it was a big budget film it was a success in some quarters Um, and as i said it was the first film to follow this red curtain trilogy it stars nicole kidman and hugh jackman It's set in the northern regions of fairly obviously australia at the start of world war ii and it's a departure from some of the more flashy, pop-culture-centred work that we looked at at the start of the director's career. But its visual impact is similarly impressive, as you've often argued, Rob. So talk to us about Australia.
0: This is, often when we get into a director for a month, there ends up being a film, or, well, a film that's Sam's um, and a film that's mine, shall we say. Um, or directors, my films and Sam's. This is the film I feel is mine this month. Um, I, I was one advocated to advocate the inclusion of Australia over other movies. Um, so I suppose I feel honoured down to kind of defend it. I obviously very much like this film. I think it is, as you said, it's beautiful. The cinematography um, that it explores through this movie is is very beautiful. You know, we we think, we think about Lord of the Rings that sort of showed. New Zealand to its finest. Um, this certainly shows off the Australian Outback to its finest. And it uses obviously visual effects, it uses or fake um, CGI locations, but it uses them to kind of tell this sweeping epic of a of a story. And I think epic is the word I've been looking for. I completely accept that it doesn't hit all its marks. And it's certainly times in the movie it's trying to reach for emotional payoffs that it really kind of hasn't earned. Um, and it is... Tonally interesting, I suppose. There are shifts, and you know, there are parts early on that are very much in the same kind of Moulin Rouge, um, become dancing, Strictly Ballroom kind of zaniness. There's elements of that very early on with the Colquhoun characters, but then it shifts sort of over the movie towards you know, the outbreak of war and, and the death and destruction of both Darwin by the um, Japanese and also the. Aboriginal and, and the mixed-race children by the white settlers. It has some problems in joining those tones at times, um, but I think at the same time it is evocative of a certain time and evocative of feelings. And it treats... I know that, that this is a, a, you know, a white Australian making a movie about race in Australia, and that's a, a touch of the, the Stolen Generations as they were. And I'm not going to say they get everything right in in terms of its portrayal of these things or its handling of these things. But I think a lot of it's done with love, a lot of it's done with care. You know, Baz Luhrmann clearly cares about this time and the story he's trying to tell, and he's trying to not be exploitative and trying to tell all these stories. Um, but for me, its it feels like a throwback. It feels like the return of the old mm. Hollywood epic. It feels like, Ben-Hur, but that kind of thing. The movies we don't tend to make anymore, the movies that are, you know, grand sweeping explorations of what can be done with widescreen what can be done with this technicolor explosion that movies once were so for me it certainly has a place i think it it isn't everything they wanted it to be but i can appreciate what they're trying to do and as i've always said on this show i will always appreciate a movie that swings for the fences and misses over one that doesn't even try i think this film is very much swinging for the fences that being said i'm well aware that sam and I can differ as i mentioned earlier with the machine girl so i'm intrigued to know what sam someone who is obviously a um a post-colonial scholar um and so a film that handles colonialism in this way maybe right up his street or very much pushing all his buttons how does it sit for you sam
1: well i would talk about the politics of this film later but i th- i uh, no, I. Uh,
0: it's okay if you didn't like it, Sam. You can say it. This is a safe space. No one's listening.
1: Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I. I don't want to spend too much time talking about what I didn't like about this film because it felt a bit, quite a lot of a, a mixed bag at times, and it felt baggy, and the narratives didn't work together for me at times. But kind of a lot of that you've alluded to there at the beginning. And I think, I mean, the film really knows that. And you know that. And I know that. And anyone listening knows that. So I think it just feels, it it would just be pointless for me to spend more time sort of picking apart what doesn't work about this film. So I I want to focus on what does work about this film. And I think think the acting performances are very good. I mean, Nicole Kidman, as I said, when we did The Beguiled, I could just watch all day. Mm. And I think Hugh Jackman's very engaging in this. I I enjoy watching Hugh Jackman anyway. Um, He is manly and buff. Well, yeah. So I meant the... Acting, but okay, fine. We've all got a bit of a man crush and hijam. Just It felt at times the narrative is a bit heavy-handed, and Nola's voiceover was a bit, a bit on the nose. But as I said, I want to speak more about what I liked about this film. I think one of the things that it reminded me of at times, and that was a positive thing, was you, you mentioned. Movies that don't make anymore. I I was thinking of sort of big epic western type films like mm. Butch Cassidy and the Magnificent Seven, and this the sort of the, the big country idea, the huge open spaces. In well, in that case, North America, but in this case, Australia, and I like that. I I also although. I wasn't sure about the music at times. I did like the way that music was used. It was the sort of variations on "Waltzing Matilda" at times, and it was sort of it, it, how how Australian the people were we were called into question by the music and the the framing. I was thinking of uh, the white policeman when you mm-hmm. talk about people being civilized and it's and then there's there's a smash cut to Nola and his mother drowning in the water tower and I thought that that was that was really good and so the, the way that editing is used like that, and I think that's something you saw earlier in Lerman's career because that's something you get in strictly borum as well and it's not sort of a, 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 sort of hammy, cartoonish use of jump-gutting as you sometimes get in Strictly Born. It's it's sort of a a smash cut that tells you that that sort of sets in relief how ridiculous this idea of being a civilised people is when Mm. those civilised people are letting other people die. So I thought the film was saying some interesting things like that. As you said, it doesn't doesn't always get it right but I, I can see that there is, there is a lot here that it is trying to do and yeah, I appreciated that, that.
0: that I see what you're saying, I think the film does forego some of the tricks that we've seen from Baz Luhrmann previously um, especially when I mean, we didn't talk about it on the show but obviously, Moulin Rouge kind of feels like the, the pinnacle, the triumph of his style that he was honing in uh, Strictly Ballroom and in a Romeo and Juliet but this kind of forgoes all of that and very much a classic feel to these things um and i i, I, I think you say there. i think that uh nicole Kidman kind of has that nice balance of kind of a brittleness early on to her character a kind of really kind of rough edged against her and that kind of how that softens over the film and how she becomes part of the life of this town I do agree with what you're saying about its uh, about its length and its sort of style. It does feel like three films rammed together violently at times. Mm, um, yeah. And you know, especially the, the the back third, if you want to call it that, when we start moving towards the outbreak of war, um, the scenes of of destruction that are wrought on Darwin are are harrowing in many ways. You know, you see the death of characters that we've seen, kind of, particularly the, the wife of of Neil Fletcher, who is kind of been one of the redeeming features shall we say of, of of large parts of the aristocracy prior to um prior to her untimely death mm. um and we see so many people you know, we, we, we see um drover's friends die we see you no know, families die we see destruction wrought on this place that was you know two hours earlier a happy-go-lucky you know thriving you know, everyone's your mate kind of thing and there's nice throwbacks yeah, it, it, there. There's some tie together, you know, of, of Ivan, the, um, the the racist barmaid, bar- bartender, um, and how what was thrown away as like an early joke in the movie comes back to be a really kind of like, actually, you know what, well, that isn't a joke. That's a fun thing. And I think there's, there's an argument to be made of this, I suppose, the tonal shifts in this film being an attempt to take what we know into what may be closer to the truth. You know, the the, the idea of the, of the the happy-go-lucky Australian drover uh, the Aussie out in the outback and 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 the kind of the spiritualist side of the Aboriginals and we start in very kind of crocodile Dundee territory in many ways we'll call it that mm, yeah um we start with you know the, the the uh the jokes of someone killing a um a kangaroo and and people running alongside it like the, 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 the early kind of feels very oh you know aussies everyone's mate always got for a laugh, and from there it kind of over time twists towards being you know racism and the abandonment of children and and death and destruction and all of that kind of thing and, and this idea of of these, these kids who have been fathered by the white aristocracy who are left you know to die and i think there's an argument there i i don't think it quite sticks the landing at times hmm. in that kind of tonal shift but i think there is something to that idea that this the, the, the change that we're seeing is wrought over three hours but it is intending to take you from somewhere you understand to somewhere where there's deeper understanding
1: yeah it as you said it doesn't it feels like it doesn't quite stick the landing and that's what i was talking about the politics i've come back to it. it just felt that the Ending of the film was a bit too neat Mm -hmm. I think this might go back to what you are saying About certain beats that are not entirely earned Something that didn't feel earned Was the, um, the text about the Stolen Generations at the end And the reference to Kevin Rudd's apology And it just felt that the film was trying to set itself up as well, we're obviously the good good guys and mm. Hugh Jackman is speaking for me, Baz Luhrmann and obviously all right-thinking people and the resettlement of mixed-race children was an aberration and there was an apology and everything's fine now. And let's all tie this up in a nice bow and say, well, let's pan ourselves on the back for, for being being sort of I suppose liberal minded about this when it felt like what the film was saying, some of the things the film was saying about well I go back to actually death of Nuller's mother is another thing, like that attack on Darwin that's really, really harrowing mm-hmm. in the midst of sort of a light hearted knockabout Crocodile Dundee esque film. You have something that I mean that scene when she dies that right there is a response to any attempt to apologize for what went on mm. because you can't apologize for that you just can't
0: i think you know, it's it's notable that the the, the apology in the sort of that thing is well after the effect and it is one line mm. in the movie, and you know it even. Even at the end of the movie, you know, it's it's still... They haven't resolved this, you know. Like, the film... I, I kind of like that weird undercutting of those those titles at the end, you know. The film ends with this kind of, you know, everyone's happy together on Far Away Downs, and, and he goes off on walkabout, and this kind of somehow acceptance of both his Aboriginal heritage and his settler heritage. But then, you are know, like, actually... Nothing really happened until the late seventies in terms of changing this, and no one apologised it till you know the two thousands, and it's just mm. like you know the, the, it kind of like it's like ah oh, and everyone runs off to the sunset, but actually they don't, and there's yes. a nice kind of I like that, but it, again it doesn't quite land at the end there. And I do mm. think there's something how you say kind of uh, hypocritical, but something a bit kind of off on the idea that the the thing that needs saving down here is another white couple you know it, it isn't yes. about embracing the over the, the, the end nala goes on walk about but if there's a feeling of, of miss boss letting him go it's kind of like you're just you're another settler you're another colonial settler in this in this town and yes we're painting you're the hero here and drover sort obviously, obviously is, is a, as much a local as anyone is. but it's still very much a feeling of like well the white people came down and saved all this. And Mm. yes, that may have been some of, you know, there's a story that existed. I don't know how true some of these events are, Um, but it does feel one thing. It's like there's a story here about... The stolen generations, and there's a story here about the the handling of mixed race children from Aboriginal mothers and and the white um, sort of aristocracy, but it maybe didn't need telling from the point of view of a privileged white woman. No, um, and I, 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 I think th- some
1: something I, I really wanted to see just just on that is, we we got like two minutes about um, Drover and his late wife Mm. and her brother and how they all fitted together and why what it meant for him to be the, the husband of a black woman and why he wasn't a father and then Nulla as a replacement for the children he never had. And there was a brilliant little story there and it just never quite got going.
0: I think this comes back to what I talked about earlier. Is it, is it's, it is, I feel it's reaching for both ends of the spectrum. It's trying to reach for mm. this idea of, of the classic epic movie, you know in my notes here I've got long versus epic, it's a long film, it's a three hour film you know, in many ways it's a slog given, you know uh, to watch through, but it feels like it's reaching for that kind of epic movie you know, it's it's reaching for Gone with the Wind, it's reaching for Birth of a Nation, it's reaching for Ben-Hur Lawrence of Arabia, it's reaching for these kind of movies and with that kind of reach comes a simplicity, it comes a... um, you know, good guys run off into the sunset and bad guys get vanquished. You know, it it, it that, that simplicity to those narrative works at an epic kind of level. But this film's being made, you know, in 2008. It's being made in the world of which we post-90s movies, post that kind of in the American movement, we, we, we expect grittiness, we expect areas of grey, we expect to have backstories, we expect to have these things from our characters. And this film kind of ends up somewhere between those two things, where it mm. kind of wants to have that case, it kind of wants to explore in depth these issues and you kind of feel like well you can't just have these being you know it can't just be uh lady ashley and her husband turn up and save everything so they have to throw in the drover character and his history aboriginals and working with his dead wife's brother but it also wants to reach for the other end of sweeping vistas and comedy sidekicks and the fact that all the bad the really bad guys in this movie get vanquished
1: Exactly. What this is, is an epic, Mm. and what Lerman is reaching for, at times, is a big epic film, and that's absolutely fine, but you can't have it both ways. You can't aim for, well, the thing about epic films is a lot of them sort of they're not able to have sort of fine-grained morality. Mm. So you have sort of sweeping statements and generalisations because that's what an epic is about. Yes. And there are stereotypes. And what this film is doing is trying to do that and then at the same time saying, hang on, it's 2008 and we want to say something about what Kevin Rudd has just said about the stolen generations so it's not quite
0: working I, I I agree and I think it would have been a stronger film picking one way and I think that way it should have picked was the epic and I think the bits of the movie where it leans into that, it leans into these these stunning vistas and going across the never never and all of these shots and even, even the stuff at the end with, with the tonal with shift towards the war movie, those scenes of that, the, the uh, Armada Armada? The, the, the armada of planes coming in over Darwin. That's like it, it's horrific, but it's a beautiful shot. You know, mm. the, it, it is a what you live in this world, and it feels like a a textured cinematic world. It's not even feel textured in the way that other, other movies do. When we talked about eight millimeter a while back, that's a movie that felt gritty in the world it lived in. It felt textured in that kind of way. This didn't. This feels feels. Not shiny, but it feels grandiose. It feels like a living on a Hollywood set. And I think if you look at, especially some of the lighting on some of these shots, it's shot like it's on a soundstage. So you've mm. got you know the, 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 this lighting that's kind of lit from the sides on the actors. They kind of pop out from the background. And I, I don't know if it is shot on location. A lot of it is on location, but it still feels like it's that kind of Hollywood soundstage. And so there's a lot to this movie that is absolutely beautiful. Um, and it has these kind of iconic, stereotypical, almost mythic characters that it's trying to portray. Especially a character like King George, um, or even King Carney. The two kings are kind of are, are, are warring a little bit. And these feel like good, mythic characters for this story. And I, th- I kind of wish it had just gone down that route. It kind of told this kind of mythic idea of 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 the old Outback um yeah. rather than trying to dive into this or there but then there is a a brilliant film to be made about the two generations and the idea of taking one one child um and telling their story using that as like an avatar for all the stories but mm. that kind of merged together just felt kind of clanging at times, I suppose, yeah.
1: So do you have any recommendations for us, Rob? I do. After Australia?
0: I do have two. Um, one is thematic and one is an actor-based. Am I doing an actor-based first one? Um, I'm, a, I'm a big lover of, of weird little character actors. Um, and someone popped up in this movie who I love. and I honestly believe, I think I recommended him previously when we talked about this film um, on a previous episode. And so I wanted to recommend The Matrix Revolutions from 2003. Uh, the actor is Bruce Spence he popped up in this movie as Dr Barker one um, the, of well, the early uh, doctors that they meet at the uh, ball, the Governor's Ball um, the one sort of who infamously says he's going to breed the black out of these kids um, certainly one of the more sort of horrific and terrifying characters of, of the movie but he pops up as a uh, train man or the train man in revolutions the one who uh, handles the station getting people in and out of matrix um, whilst i think as we discussed at the time the matrix sequels struggle at times to land to, 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 to land their endings as it were But I think that uh, there's some interesting stuff there, and his character particularly, as this kind of dishevelled but almost all-powerful character in his own domain, is one I liked, and is one I kind of uh, connected to within that movie. My second one is a thematic one, and I think it's it's very easy to draw almost a a big, thick, black marker line from this movie towards uh, Australia, and that's the 1956 film, The Searchers the most grandiose of grandiose westerns from uh, John Ford and John John Wayne. Um, It has that still kind of, the vistas, it has the the kind of the wilderness, the interactions with the idea of of an other. And whilst it certainly didn't go to the extremes of Australia, it still does some work in kind of trying to go against the grain and the humanisation of that other. The idea that uh, prior to this, a lot of Westerns had the, uh, the Comanche tribes and the um, Native Americans as kind of this bizarre other that uh, it was just a, a sort of force for nature that terrorised uh, the good white settlers. Whereas the searchers, whilst not doing it entirely justice... Did interrogate that idea a little bit more and come up against the idea that, you know, the, the the crusading white guy played by John Wayne may not be right. He may not be the right, a good guy. He may not be the hero we all expect. Um, so I think there's a big line in those two. I don't think there's a, a reach to connect the two of them as a Um But I do enjoy The Searchers. I think it's, as a fan of the Westerns, and this really is a Western in many ways, it is one of the titans of that genre. What about you, Sam?
1: Great, I have two suggestions this week as well Similarly, one actor-based, one thematic Um, Actor-wise, I just wanted to mention again As I do quite frequently, and we have done in recent weeks Nicole Kidman, who is incredible in this film Although, actually, I did notice her cut-glass British accent Did drop on one word in this film when they uh, go to the ball she say, I think she says No to Hugh Jackman She says it with it, with an Aussie twang mm-hmm. Which I thought was Incredible that she did that Only once in the whole film Given that she's surrounded by Australians um, Anyway So I want to go to a more recent Film, 2014 She's in with Hugh Bonneville And Sally Hawkins It's Paddington which I saw I quite recently Absolutely loved it It's just a beautiful Heartwarming film um, That has some Very nice things to say About foreigners And migration And maybe It might be a little Tinge with disappointment Watch it now post Brexit But it, it is a, a lovely
0: film Excellent
1: My second recommendation is a thematic one and while it's not a film that aims for the same epic ideas as Australia, it takes this story of the Stolen Generations and tells it very well and it has Kenneth Branagh as the uh, token white guy I suppose, the white guy who's hunting the mixed race Aboriginal children down. Um, also starring even, even Sampi as the lead child it's called rabbit proof fence it was named after it so it's a fence built to keep vermin off a particular part of australia but i suppose this acts as a wider metaphor for treating the quote-unquote vermin of mixing aboriginal and white races and it was very good um it's not in the same league as Australia has said, epic-wise, but it it focuses on telling this stolen generation story and does it, I think, very well. And it's in, in some ways better than Australia in sort of not aiming as high.
0: Fair enough, excellent. Brilliant. So, folks, we'll be back next week with the conclusion to our Baz Luhrmann month, and we we'll were looking at his most recent movie, almost back, though still was five years ago, uh, 2013's movie The Great Gatsby. Till then, guys, you can find us both on Twitter, at PesciPodcast.
1: You can find just me, at life underscore academic,
0: and you can find just me at Rob Kaiju, Guys, if you like this show and you want to support this show, we really do appreciate all the support you give us. If you do enjoy it, please give us a review on iTunes, leave us a five-star review and say some nice things about us. It really helps us get ourselves into more eyes and thus more ears. But if you really, really like us, Uh, We do have a Patreon that helps support all the shows on FM. We do special recordings, we do transcripts, we do all kinds of awesome things over there. So if you really, really like us, please go throw a couple of dollars our way. It really helps us keep the lights on and keep us uh, making these shows for you. Till then, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. a dark and stormy night the wind lashing down and you're facing against your greatest challenge yet a player who's gone in the wrong direction we've all been there you've got our story planned out and this player heads off in the wrong direction and you've got nothing to fill that gap my name is rob and i've started a podcast to help you the podcast is called law masters and each week i bring you something for your game it could be a hook it could be an object it could be a person it could be a city it could be a whole story arc If you're a dungeon master and you want some inspiration, please check us out wherever you find podcasts. And remember, you're not alone.